Welcome to Front and Center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields, where awakening people from all sides come together to help write our new story and build upon America's sacred purpose, unity and diversity, while expressing their individual freedom in the context of sacred community. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Maxenny and Steve Behrman. Welcome to Front and Center, from political battlefields to cooperative playing fields. Hello, I'm Michael Maxetti, and we have another very important conversation today to help us move through these evolutionary times towards a more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. But let me invite my partner, Steve Behrman, here to introduce today's special guest. Steve? Thank you, Michael. Well, here's the great political paradox of our time. At a time when it seems that the two sides are most polarized, than, more polarized than ever, there is actually a great upwising, an awakening of those who long to work together above and beyond the divide to get us off the political battlefields and onto the cooperative playing fields, and who recognize that to transform the body politic from passive observers to active participants, there needs to be political climate change, warmer hearts, and cooler heads. Well, our guest today, Christopher Life, is, we like to call it spearheading, which I like better than spearheading. He's spearheading a new movement, an upcoming conference, the United Independent Conference, to be held in Austin, Texas, April 3rd to 5th of this year. The Independent National Convention, and I quote, is a convergence of independent leaders from across America joining forces to bring about a new kind of synergistic politics, one that's not based on party lines or ideological divisions, but on a shared commitment to work together to progress the, pre the principles of freedom, liberty, and justice for all. With over 50% of Americans declaring independence from the major two parties, it's time for us to come together and set a new trajectory for our nation, unquote. Well, Christopher is an independent civic activist who seeks to bring together political independence from across the spectrum to create a shared vision and create a united independent movement to end the two-party duopoly and massively upgrade democracy itself. Prior to this, he founded an independent party called One Nation Party. Before that, he was founder of a nutrition-based medical solution, MediMeals, and prior to that, he worked to alleviate poverty in Africa. He graduated summa cum laude from San Diego State University in international security and conflict resolution. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you, it's happy to be here. Okay, good, well, let's jump right in. Why don't you tell us about the Independence Conference and what you hope to achieve? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really great to be with you. And for all the listeners, um, thanks for giving us some of your time and attention. Um, we're very excited about the upcoming Independent National Convention. Uh, it's about seven weeks away now. Um, there's a, a growing amount of excitement and energy as more leaders from the independent sector are all converging in Austin this April. And, you know, what is the independent sector itself? You know, it, it, the independent sector is, is a concept um, that involves and includes independent political parties. It also involves and includes uh, 
political reform organizations, um, but also involves and includes new technology solutions and independent media solutions and unaffiliated voters and all different types of related and tangential movements. So when I say the independent sector, um, it's, it, it's a, a space of, of thousands of different organizations and millions of Americans. And up until recently, there hasn't been a context to be able to invite that total system to be able to see itself as one whole, as one independent body of America. And of course, within that space, there's, there's different ideological orientations. And so for, for decades, the Green Party and the Libertarian Party didn't think like they had very much in common. Because if you, if you plot the Green Party and Libertarian Party on a, on a two-dimension spectrum of left and right, then Greens are closer to Democrats and Libertarians are closer to Republicans. So the Libertarians and Republicans might have a more context to, to coordinate. Um, but as we're kind of letting go of that left-right divide as, a, as, as the, the dominating paradigm of our politics, and as we're starting to realize the, the egregious effect of an of a existing two-party duopoly that's really dominated American politics, um, then there's actually becoming more and more in common with different groups that are independent from the two-party system because we can actually have a lot to, that brings us together, uh, first and foremost, to be able to end the domination of the two-party system in our country. Beyond that, to increase um, transparency in government, to decrease corruption, to be able to improve our election systems, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a huge number of topics that actually bring different groups from the independent sector together effectively. And we're using the upcoming Independent National Convention to help to reveal how much commonality exists between all different types of groups and actors and agents and individuals and organizations in the independent space that actually justifies the emergence of something like a united independent movement. Not to be able to make all the groups one group, not that at all, but to create a context of coordination so that all the groups can work more effectively together in less silo, less segmentation, less fragmentation, um, and, and more productivity by being able to coordinate resources, coordinate roadmaps, coordinate visions, coordinate priorities, coordinate um, you know, how we're thinking about the very issues that we're addressing and approaching, and have a higher degree of interpersonal relatedness amongst individuals and organizations and actors within it. So that's really the, the punchline of the upcoming INC is it's, a, it's, a, it's an event context to be able to bring all these different groups and, and, and thought processes into one physical event to be able to achieve a certain set of outcomes. And that event itself is really just a metaphor for the, the, the convening that we need in the independent sector so that we can actually create a, a fundamentally new center of gravity. And I see that, that the independent space which includes parties like Forward Party, Libertarian Party, Common Sense Party, et cetera, et cetera, that this independent space is, is on the verge of becoming the new center of gravity of American politics. We still have a journey to go, but anytime a tide shifts, you know, it, it, it kind of, it, it shifts a little bit. And then before you know, it starts shifting a lot and a lot. And then before you know it, the tide's out. And so I, I feel like that's really where we're at. The, the, we're at a tidal shift point where, for decades, the two-party system has dominated American politics, but that, but when I leave this planet, that's not going to be the case anymore. And the, the tide is shifting, and we get to be able to participate in the acceleration of that shift 
because, you know, 50% of Americans identify as independents and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like this independent is the, the direction, I believe firmly, of the future of our country. And the last thing I'll say real quick is one of the things I'm really inspired by is, is, is the Phoenix as a metaphor for this rising independent space because something new is emerging as, as the old systems are collapsing. Um, and so that's us, you know, that's all of us who, who are realizing, wait a second, we're not a part of all that, the, the CNN, the Fox, the Republican, the Democrat, the left, the right, the donkey, the, the elephant, like all of that's not, not me. Well, okay, when you've got tens of millions of Americans thinking that all at the same time, that's indicative that something new is emerging. That's the phoenix I see rising out of the collapse of the existing systems. And that's the United Independent Movement that this upcoming conference is intending to help to be able to strengthen. Uh, Christopher, before we get into some specific questions about it, before we leave the issue of the uh, convention, I'd like to ask you if you would briefly highlight the main speakers at the convention who are going to be there, if you would, for us. Sure. Yeah. So from a kind of headline speaker standpoint, we have a uh, former uh, congressional member and um, former mayor of Cleveland, Dennis Kucinich, which um, is a beloved leader by, by many in this country. Um, we have former congressional member uh, and presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard, um, which is also a, a kind of a beloved leader by many. Um, and then we've got Catherine Gale, who's one of our other headliners, and she's the author of, um, I believe, Politics Industry. Uh, is the name of her kind of uh, flagship book, and she's a major proponent of uh, Final Five voting, which is a form of ranked choice voting, um, looking at how we evolve and upgrade our, our voting systems that um, don't keep reinforcing this kind of duopoly context. Uh, those are some of our headliners, and we have some others that are kind of potentially in the works, which we'll announce uh, once those confirm. But we also have... Uh, 39 uh, panel discussions featuring a range of topics from voting and election reform to energy to blockchain and artificial intelligence to criminal justice reform, education reform, uh, homelessness, mental health. So we're looking at all of these different topics that matter so much to us, um, to our American and, and, and global society right now. And we're looking at it through the lens of independence because there's a lot of these topics that either A, aren't being even discussed on the left or the right, or B, are being discussed from maybe slightly distorted perspectives. And so these are independent solutions that are coming forward through society right now. And we're bringing these conversations uh, forward at the Independent National Convention. Great. I'd like to ask you one, before I ask you the second question, I want to ask, on your topics of these discussions. Do you have a topic there about propaganda and how it's being used to manipulate the masses? We have a topic on independent media, and that would probably be the space to uh, talk about that topic. Personally, could I, yeah. Could I suggest that that become a standalone topic? Because that's one of the, at the core of the problem of polarization and the, the, the divisiveness is the use of propaganda, which people don't understand. So I would encourage you to make that a standalone topic because it needs to be its own and it should be a headline topic because that's at the root cause of what's going on. Lastly, before I 
hand it back over to my partner here. I'd like to ask you, what are those outcomes that you hope to get from the convention? What are the couple of three main outcomes you hope to achieve? Yeah. Um, on the topic of propaganda, I just want you to know personally, I'm so passionate about the topic of, 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 of decreasing the manipulation that exists in that regard and also increasing the individual's resilience against being manipulated. And th th those two things are, I think, real critical parts of this movement. Well, to resist it is almost impossible uh, because, I mean, I was in media and marketing for 40 years, and uh, I understand the sophistication of how it's become. And it's no matter how much you think you're in it, uh, you still are, are influenced by it. Yeah. But the key is to understand how to go beyond it and move around it so that you can get a opportunity to seek a whole truth, a, a broader truth. But to the outcomes, I'm really curious, what are the outcomes you hope to achieve? Well, uh, there's a handful of very important outcomes. So one is the interrelatedness between the individuals, the agents, the groups, the organizers that are going to be at the event, right? So there's all different types of democracy reform groups and other, um, you know, emerging political parties that all have, you know, their, their kind of leaders and their, 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 their kind of founders and everything like that. And then you have also all the other people that are part of it. And as all these individuals interact with all the other individuals in the event, um, you're actually developing the relational fabric, you're strengthening and you're nourishing the relational fabric of the United Independent Movement. So that's one of the outcomes. Um, Another outcome is to be able to uh, help more and more people kind of see the possibility that, wow, if independents start focusing on working together, on coordinating efforts, we really are at the edge of a fundamental phase change. Um, and so to have that epiphany and to be ready for that, right? And Angela McArdle, the national chair of the Libertarian Party, is kind of one example of a friend of mine who I've been talking to for the last several months. And, and really, we've had a lot of conversations saying, hey, look, this is what the Libertarian Party has done in silo. And imagine if the Libertarian Party saw itself as a part, a functional component, an organ in a larger context. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you, 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 you move from fragmentation and, 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 and a very inefficient use of energy and resources into a high degree of orchestrated synergy. Um, and, and they're already doing it. You know, the, the Libertarian Party's uh, currently co-producing an event with the People's Party, which is an independent party, quote unquote, out of the left. That's happening in D.C. later this week. Um, and so that's an example of two totally different independent organizations that have different ideological backgrounds that are coordinating together to achieve outcomes. And I want to see that happening like popcorn, more and more and more coordination, joint efforts, joint engagements, joint endeavors, joint events, that kind of a thing. Um, furthermore, I want to help to strengthen the narrative of the United Independent Movement uh, for the media. So the media actually knows how to talk about it. The media can tell the story. The media can take a picture of it and write an article about it. And the media can have an interview and be able to kind of know the talking points and repeat those talking points and help to be able to kind of create earn media for the movement, if you will, to, to, to strengthen this conversation. And then, and then as that happens... Now you're compounding that effect by casting that invitation out to more and more Americans that, hey, independents are coming together as a part of a united independent movement, and you can be a part of that too. So we use the event to strengthen the story, 
to tell the story, to then be able to expand the story, make that story more real, to get more people involved, to show up and say, hey, look, I want to get my local organizing button gear to be able to participate in this, in, in, in strengthening a local node of the United Independent Movement um, and, and, and building local coalition between the Green Party and the Forward Party and, and, the, and, the, and the Libertarian Party in my local community and tie that in together with the local democracy reform initiatives that are happening and the church groups and the nonprofit groups and, and make sure that we're working together to improve our own individual civil culture, upgrade our own local democracy, and ultimately prepare a campaign apparatus to reliably move more and more people that are independent from the existing two-party system into city council, into mayorship, into county commissioners, et cetera. Well, before, I, we can go on separately, but my part, podcast partner here has been very patient. And Steve, uh, jump in, please. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. In the past, uh, political movements have tended to be ideological and issue-based. If we're looking at third parties, for example, uh, they tend to be around an ideology. And now here is an entirely different sensibility emerging. We have, first of all, you know, the common sense party and the forward party resonant with this kind of movement, which is not so much looking to impose some kind of an ideological or belief narrative or even policy narrative, but this is actually creating coherence perhaps around the idea of government of, by, and for the people, where the government does the people's bidding and not the bidding of the highest bidder. So I really appreciate you building coherence around this. And the other qu the question I have is, obviously to do this, you have to create a culture of collaboration and a culture of connection to counterbalance all of these um, influences that are creating separation. How are you going to address this culture of collaboration, or is there such a culture that can be uh, manifested in this uh, through this event? Yeah, thanks for asking that. And to kind of go back to the first point that you were kind of broaching a bit there, um, I'd like to, to kind of stop for a second. And um, it's, it, it's when we look at the, the kind of narratives around topics, so often those topics are focused on social issues or economic issues. And if you don't have a particular position on a social issue or an economic issue, people might misrepresent that you don't have a particular topic or you don't have a particular ideological orientation. But there's a whole domain of issues that is, is kind of like vacant from even being seen as an issue. And those issues I refer to issues of governance, how we govern ourselves as real issues that have real teeth, that are really meaningful, that aren't just like, you know, um, kumbaya movement building stuff but it really brings people together so the independent national convention doesn't have any issues that are fundamentally social or economic in nature but we do have very real issues that are that are governance in nature that we should have more transparent government that we should have increased participatory government that we should have elected officials that are that are accountable that we should have improved governance standards that we need to actually really invest in the civic empowerment, civic engagement of our citizens. They're more effectively able to participate in the democratic process. These are very real issues. They're just issues that are governance in nature. And so I want to really foreground that element because you can use those topics, those issues to be able to bring people together. First and foremost, you have to be able to name that category of issues and people wake up and be like, oh yeah, those are really important issues. And we have really focused positions on those issues and we can unite 
behind those issues together, even though we have different perspectives on some of the social issues on the, on the, on the topic. So that's the, the revelation of the common ground that enables the, the coalition building and, and, and the movement building. Um, furthermore, to answer your second question, on topics of culture, um, th this, is a, this is a critical topic. I mean, we cannot have a successful movement if everybody in the room thinks that they're right and is not listening to the other person. You know, whether that's at the scale of a, of a husband and a wife in a home or at the scale of a local town hall or at the scale of national movement building that we all, every single one of us, myself included, need to upgrade our own operating, behavioral operating system or cultural operating system to be able to have more empathy, to be able to be better listeners, and to be able to have the sophistication to be able to not say, okay, either I'm right or you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong, but what if we're both partially right-ish? And what if we can actually take a little piece of what matters to me and a little piece of what matters to you and put them together to create a new insight that didn't exist before this conversation? Again, whether this conversation at the scale of two individuals talking or the conversation between the Libertarian Party and the Green Party, for example, at a systemic level, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we absolutely need to and must um, upgrade ourselves to be able to upgrade our democracy. And that's actually the name of one of our panels, upgrading our culture to upgrade our democracy um, as, a, as a fundamental and core component of that. We have partners with, with groups like Pro Social World. We're talking to Weave. Um, uh, we have uh, author uh, Monica Guzman, who's, who, who speaks about bringing curiosity into the, the public discourse. And so these issues of cultural upgrade are also not like the kumbaya of the movement where, hey, let's you know, get back to talking about like, you know, foreign policy or something like that. No, this is, this is critical um, to be, as a part of this movement development is to focus on this cultural piece. You know, my background is in political science, although I never did actually get to dissect a politician in poli-sci lab. Didn't quite get that far. But something that you realize is that one of the great uh, negative strategies is divide and conquer. And we have seen um, the fact that we are so divided has really prevented us from holding our system accountable. And it sounds like a lot of the reforms that you're talking about are accountability reforms. They're, they're reforms that would... Uh, even the playing field, or actually create a new playing field, uh, where uh, there was not this back and forth about um, trusting the results of the election or um, gerrymandering or anything like that. So it sounds like the focus that you have <clears throat> is on uh, essentially agreeing on rules of the game so that we can all play on the same field. Yeah, that's exactly, that's a great way of saying it. Good. Okay. Um, Michael, go ahead. Oh, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to join you all uh, for the call, the national call that you had about three, four months ago, where there was 40 plus uh, leaders from different sectors around the country involved in your kickoff roundtable discussion. And uh, one of the people there that talking about upgrade our democracy. I really like what you just said there about, uh, I, I really like the issues of governance. We refer to those as re political reform and systemic reform, 
But I really like the idea of the issues of governance. I think that's an easier understanding for people uh, is to focus on the issues of governance. So thank you for that. Upgrading our democracy. You had a speaker that I was very impressed with what she had actually accomplished, uh, Amelia Powers Gardner. Uh, from uh, Utah County, who gave a very simple but very specific example about how to utilize how for government should be looking at how it can deliver its services more easily to the public. And she gave a very simple example based around getting a marriage license and things how to, on two aspects of how the government needs to totally change to become a real functioning for the people, a facilitator of of uh, activity besides a facilitator of, of cultural change. And I really appreciate you focusing on that. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about on your outcomes is, and I love everything you said, and I really, at some point, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Declaration of Independence because I've shared that with some people and said, is there anything on here that you would disagree with? And that's a great starting point for people uh, to understand is, your principles are, are outstanding and few people could say, no, I don't, there's something there I don't like that would make me not want to be a member of this independent national union. Uh, but I want to talk about the outcomes because it's crucial the amount of time as you see our freedoms being slowly but very consistently being stripped away, the walking away from our constitutional freedoms that are supposedly guaranteed, we've got people that truly want to see a new world order. They've been talking about it. The first President Bush brought it up uh, at, about this new world order that's been more and more publicly known all the way now to the Great Reset and what's going on uh, very publicly for a number of years with the economic world form. Their vision of changing our world and how they're going about it would negate everything that we're working on here and that you're working on. Uh, I refer to them and many others do as the Hunger Games Society elites. Their view of our future is that they're these gifted humans that were just anointed for from life or whomever they think they were anointed from to be our those who can determine the future, they see us as nothing more than their, their entertainers, their servants, or their slaves. Uh, and so I would only say a question about your outcomes is how we can move this forward to get government on the side of the people and out of the hands of the leadership of these two parties that are collaborating with and part of these wonderful anointed ones who think that they know best how our lives should be lived on behalf of, of them. Uh, and that's the path I'd like to focus on for a few minutes is to get us, get our government out of their control so that we have the time to allow our culture and humanity to evolve on its path forward to that more beautiful world. Because they aren't giving us the time and they, they will not give us that luxury of time because they see it 180 degrees different than us. To that, I'd like to say, the question is, is what we're doing at the Common Sense Party and what we're doing as part of an alliance with the Ford Party 
And there's other groups that I know you're aware of around the country from the Alliance Party and the Keystone Party and many others that are forming new independent parties. I'd like to suggest as part of your thinking what I refer to as the most likely to succeed and, 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 and put this into your thinking and hopefully into the leadership that of as an outcome from this conference is to give us the time, one of the key very simple outcomes that could be put forth to your members and followers and, and, and leaders is in each state, because of the way the rules are written, to ask these leaders to implore their followers and people who trust them to pick out in each state, and this would be from which of these new independent parties or principled parties that are based on governance, based on principles, not orthodoxy, go and volunteer your time with them, or at the minimum, go and, and change your party preferences the term in California, or register with them. Push these independent parties, the most likely one to succeed in each state across the finish line, so that we can get as many new independent, based on principles, parties established in 2024, folks, so that we can break this stranglehold, puncture their hold, and start to give us the time we need to, to move forward together. So I'd like to discuss that a little bit, hear your reaction to that, and... and, and <clears throat> well, you, sure, you certainly laid up a juicy one there, Michael. Let me see what I can do with it. <laughs> So let's see. Um, I'm going to hit it from a couple of different angles and see if I can really bring it, bring some some concepts together. Um, first and foremost, I believe that we're truly at a revolutionary moment in time, and I, I do not use revolution as a buzzword. I am annoyed by that. I use it as a technical term. So, so revolution is a full transfer of power, right, from those who have held power to a new a body, individual group that's fundamentally distinct, not just like inc an incremental modification of it. And, um, and I, I'm, I've, you know, I, I, I appreciate uh, different national revolutions that have happened in, in the world in the last, you know, 100 years or so. And, um, and so, so the more that there's a, a degradation of civil rights and there's an increased degree of discontentment and there's an increased quantity and proportion of, 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 of the population that's fundamentally discontent with the, with the existing power systems and structures, the, the stage is being set. For, for something fundamentally revolutionary to occur. Um, and uh, one of the things that defines a lot of successful national revolutions is that everything that's not bolted on to the existing power structure unites and comes together. And, and that's what actually enables the, the inertia to be able to affect real systemic change at a national level, which usually involves ousting a dictator and the 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 kind of regime of military and financiers kind of around that dictator. Um, in America, we have successfully created the most sophisticated dictator that the world has ever invented called the two-party duopoly. Um, and so we have a really sophisticated dictator that creates this like polarized illusion of choice that really effectively does divide and conquer in all these different manipulative ways and leaves individuals kind of like, you know, in the current context that we have of a huge amount of 
political apathy and people frustrated and people believing that there's just these two parties that are warring against each other and have to pick sides. Otherwise, the other side's going to win and take away everything that matters to me and all that kind of a thing. But when we kind of wake up from that manipulation, because even in more simple uh, revolutionary context, that dictator is, is one of their prime objectives is to create division amongst all of the factions that are against them. So there are more folks on fighting against each other rather than fighting collectively against the one dictator. So the patterns are consistent, whether we have a really sophisticated two-party system or just a more simple kind of dictator. And, and are, you, are you referring to the districts, perhaps, from the Hunger Games? Yeah, well, not, not explicitly, but I, but, I am, but I am pointing towards the fact yeah. that all these different individual parties that you're referring to, right, it's not, it's not just that we have more parties. What's, what's important is that we have more parties that are in coordination with each other, that are working together, because I'm not a proponent of just more parties for more parties' sake. Because now you're, you're, you're segmenting resources, you're segmenting uh, uh, narrative capacity, you're segmenting all these things, and you're basically making it all futile, and you're, and you're segmenting the voter base, and you're having more candidates from all these parties running against each other, which is just sapping the resource of the whole system. And that's a way to guarantee that you're going to have a Republican or Democrat win every single election. But what we get in a phase change is when we have those new par parties— and they're working in connection with each other in a coordinated fashion. Now we're getting closer to you know the e pluribus unum, right? Out of many one, right? The the, the fundamental mythos that that defined our initial revolution, which was the coming together of the colonies to be able to do something they could never do on their own, which is to be able to run a revolutionary war and create a federal government. So we need to be thinking more about the coordination of independent groups than about the, the, the just individual necessitation of an individual group. But that's a re required component of this increased coordinated kind of moment in time. So kind of having said all of that, um, I I'm not here to say they, right? You used the term they a number of times, alluding to a class of people, a ruling elite, that kind of a thing. Um, but without saying a they, what we can say in a really practical sense is we have two highly corporate political parties. And those corporate political parties, in a huge degree, are beholden to corporations. And those corporations are owned by very wealthy and very powerful people. And, and, and when those two parties then determine who runs the nation, the states, the counties, and the cities, then you're basically creating an uninterrupted channel of control from a wealthy ruling elite to the decisions that are making made around the local allocations of municipal budgets. So that system, we can cut, we can interrupt that entire system when we move independence into office. People who think, speak, and act their own conscience in careful consideration of all they represent, bringing a new set of governance standards, governance technologies, and empowering a higher degree of civic activation through their constituency. So if you do that with five city council people and a mayor, you just ran a successful local revolution where you've disconnected that municipal budget's control from that entire system that we just talked about before. And so when we can do that systematically in cities and counties around the country, 
then what we're doing is we're strengthening the independent uh, sector's capacity to even be able to hold power. And here's the last thing that I'll say, that one of my favorite quotes, one of my own personal quotes, is those who love love must learn to love power as much as those who love power love power. And inside of that, what I'm pointing to is I'm not here to say, oh, those powerful people that think that they're ordained, they've gotten really good at power. So we don't need to actually like complain against them. We just need to become better at being powerful. We need to actually become more effective at powerful at being powerful. And as we do so, to integrate the love and the power into one new integrated system of like a new kind of political ethos, a new political consciousness that can kind of come online. And so as we do all of this kind of micro local revolutionary work, movement building work, what we're actually doing is we're systematically drawing power away from that system by way of resources, by way of government contracts, by way of voter support, by way of media narrative capacity, by way of dollars, by way of sentiment, all these different ways. We're drawing power away from that system and we're aggregating developing power into a new alternative that more and more people can participate in. And you have senators like uh, Kirsten Sinema who just declared her independence, right? A, a, an active US senator that said, you know, even though this is the party that got me elected, I'm actually declaring my independence so I can better align with my constituents who are fundamentally independent. Well, what's happening? We have more than 50% of Americans who are becoming independent. So more and more elected officials are gonna have the same logic to say, wow, my constituents are actually independents. They're not Republicans or Democrats. And so we're about to have this popcorn effect of more and more national legislators, governors, state legislators, municipal leaders, county leaders, following Senator Sinema's lead and declaring their own independence. And every time that happens, we create an increased acceleration of the domino effect of power moving from the existing system to a fundamentally new emerging system. I love everything you said, and I could go back and talk on some specific points, but in our limited time, since we don't have unlimited time, which this could be a two hour conversation, which hopefully we'll have an, a part two after the, uh, the convention. But I wanna address what I think is, is absolutely, the, the thing that I hear is missing that I would like to suggest to you. And that is, I love all the fact that, that she moved to independent and others. However, to get reelected, to get elected as an independent in most every state, and I'll use California as a specific example, and how the common sense party and what we're doing here and how we have created that alliance to go back up to one of the things you said earlier about the need for cooperation, collaboration, that is essential. We are exemplifying what I am putting forth as part of this uh, most likely to succeed strategy is being exemplified here in California. Uh, because the way the rules are written, you cannot get elected as an independent in California and most every single party state, which now over three quarters of our states are that way. The rules have been changed and written in such a way that it makes it almost impossible for anyone other than somebody of extreme wealth 
which then takes away the party for the rest of us and eliminates the, the essential voices that have been missing in our political leadership for years. And that's what the Common Sense Party in dealing in California, the uniqueness of what we're doing here, can help others see a way forward. You've got to level the economic playing field. In California, the way the, com the campaign finance laws are written, as an individual running as an, uh, an endorsed party candidate, and in California right now, there's only six endorsed parties. If you have that party endorsement, you have uh, on an individual level from a donor an over nine to one financial advantage in your campaign funding from the individuals. The limit, the law says you can only get $5,500 an individual can give to an individual candidate, but they can turn around and write a check to a party that be endorsed to that candidate for another $45,600. So a total of $51,000 that individual can give you if you're the representative of official party. That's a huge advantage right from the get-go on an individual. And even worse than that, PACs, and the party can raise and give you unlimited money raised from anywhere in the world. And that's why we're seeing millions of dollars in campaign money being spent on an estate assembly seat because to guarantee them the party control of that seat, they can bring in unlimited funds to overwhelm an independent candidate. So the Common Sense Party, one of the unique things about what we're doing in California is we're about helping the first and foremost is creating an environment that we can level the economic playing field and ultimately the organizational and brand fields will come after that so that a common sense Democrat, libertarian, green, Republican can proudly be hold on to all of their principles. They're not asked to give up any of their principles to get the party's endorsement to level that economic playing field. Only thing they have to commit to to get that endorsement is a set of principles that we sim summarize in three simple words, responsible, open, and inclusive, which each have a little longer definition, that you've demonstrated in your life story that you are a person of character who's demonstrated responsibility, open-mindedness, inclusiveness. I summarize that in one word, you have integrity that people can count on that you will do what you say you will do. And that's the kind of people we want to get elected. Those are the people that allow us then to rewrite those rules so that independence can even go further. But you can be a true independent. But to be a true independent by, as being a member of the Common Sense Party, because you're not asked to give up any of your beliefs on anything. You just have to be a per person of character to get the endorsement. And th that, in the collaboration with what Ford's doing on a national level, is exactly exemplifying what you talked about, working total in collaboration together to create the kind of party that will represent the people's interest, not the leadership or the special interests. Yeah, Michael, I'm really with you, and we're, we're, we're on the same page. We're saying the same thing. Um, so I really appreciate what you're saying. And just to kind of add to that a little bit, um, when I use the word independent, there, I kind of got two different things I'm referring to simultaneously. One is the, is the identification or the affiliation of it, of being independent. And what that means to me personally, although it might mean different things to different people, doesn't mean that people aren't affiliated with a party. It literally just means 
that they're not a part of the existing two-party system. Because independent, what I'm referring to is independent from the existing dominant power system of our country to be able to participate in the revolutionary work we have ahead of us. And then, and then I also use the word independent as a cultural concept. A person is independent if they themselves, with their own integrity, think, speak, and act their own conscience. And that they're not beholden to groupthink or beholden to other types of um, you know, ulterior motives or ulterior interests that act through them. Um, and so from that vantage point, we're exactly saying the same thing, that there's this whole tapestry of parties that are going to help to support and create independence that are affiliated with and associated with those parties, backed by those parties, integrated with those parties, um, to be able to achieve these electoral outcomes that we so desperately need. Here's what I would like to ask of you and the people there that are watching and those who are libertarians, hold green, whatever. If you're a party, if you're a member of a party that's based upon orthodoxy, then what you're really saying is my personal beliefs trump what's best for the country and others. And I'm not willing to be collaborative in the decision-making. And I don't believe most people who are libertarians or greens or whatever really feel that way. They see that as, as their primary issue path. But to maintain that independence, what I'm suggesting to them is be a, a common sense libertarian, be a common sense green, but change your party preference to common sense which allows you to be who you are, allows those principles and those issues of importance to you to be dominant in what you do and to help bring your DNA into that party to influence the development of successful policies in regards to those issues. But we must have that new party in existence that allows you to do that and can be that adjacent possible, absolute essential first step to get there. And that is to rewrite those rules so that we could have more independent-minded people elected. And to do that, join the Common Sense Party in California, change that party preference, and that will help us create a path forward to that more beautiful and just world that our hearts know is possible. And on that, I will shut up because, but this is so important. I love what you're doing and I'll support you 100%. I hope you will ask your people in California to realize this is the path forward ahead is joining this party and get us that path, get us that door open so that we can begin to get governance issues on the table and, and get Catherine Gales and, and all these issues starting to be resolved because the control of these parties will not ever change the laws and the rules to make it easier to take any of their power or control away. But a new party in the system will dramatically change that instantly. And I want to add, well, one, Michael, thing. I want to yeah. add one quick thing. <laughs> as soon as a new party is in formation, is, is there, we believe most all of the elected officials went into office truly to serve and to make our, our country or state better. But they know the rules. Once they get elected, they realize the rules that if they don't follow leadership, they're gone. So they play the game. As soon as they know that there is a new path for them to get reelected and hold on to their job is available, now they can stand up to leadership and say, my heart and my constituents would expect me to vote thus. And, that's, and so I'm not going to do what you say. And if you try to force me to do it, I'm not going to do it. And I'll just become a common sense Democrat, libertarian or whatever. And then I can 
do so if I do the right thing, I can get reelected, I can keep my job, and now I have a path ahead that allows me to do that. So Thank you, Michael, for, for sharing all that. And I just want you to know I'm really excited for all the great work you are doing with the Common Sense Party. Really excited about the alliance between the Common Sense Party and Forward Party. All that is, is really exciting for the movement. Like you said, it's, it's exemplary of the principles that I'm kind of talking about uh, in this conversation and at the upcoming INC. And if you change your mind personally about coming to INC, I have a panel with your name on it that I'll reserve a spot for, which is called the role of emerging minor parties in this movement. And, and that's, that, that's the space for this conversation to be had. And if, if you're not able to physically travel uh, to the convention, I, I really hope a lot of other members from the Common Sense Party, from front and center, from the folks that are watching this, um, really realize, hey, this is a moment in time for me to make a choice. Like, am I going to actually gather at this at this physical convergence of independent leaders that represent independent parties, democracy reform organizations, independent media, like this massive convergence that's happening in the middle of our country in, in April. And it's always one of those choices. Like, am I, am I going to go? Am I going to get a ticket? Am I going to buy my plane ticket? Can I take the time off? But I think so many of us have had our lives changed by making the, the, the choice to kind of show up to a, a physical event that, that has the opportunity to create all kinds of synergy, inspiration, opportunities. So I really want to make a, a real hearty invitation to everyone in this network to, to consider joining Steve and the rest of us at the INC in April this Austin. <laughs> in, in Austin. Uh, Christopher, I would like to ask you that if you would please send me an email with that panel and that, and I will then uh, see what I can do to actually make that happen, and I'll confirm that I could be there. This will Phenomenal. be great. This will be a very harmonic convergence. Now, can people who cannot be there physically, can they participate? Uh, in this conference, is there going to be uh, any remote um, aspect of it? We want yeah, we people to be there physically, of course. As uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be announcing some remote aspects as we get a little bit closer to it. But really, this is the moment in time for folks to be thinking about being there. There's going to be something so we've put out a call, right? If if you build it, they will come, right? This is kind of a field of dreams moment, um, and we've put invitations out to thousands of different leaders. And everyone's going to choose for themselves. Am I going to actually show up physically and be a part of this historic convergence of independent leaders? Um, and so that's the first thing for people to really think about and consider. Um, and, and we want to make sure that beyond that, it's accessible to millions of Americans around the country who aren't able to travel at this time. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Christopher, for sharing this and for all the work that's gone into it up until now and for creating this marker where people can show up for a truly revolutionary and evolutionary event. Thank you so much. Before we say, sign off, though, Christopher, I'd like to ask you one question, as we've asked many of our guests in closing. And, and I know we have both. the uh, As succinctly as possible and off the cuff, share with us what would be your vision for a more beautiful and just world that your heart knows is possible. Well, I'm not an incremental change guy. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a phase change guy. And so, so I really see that we're at a moment in time where we really could go into utter dystopia or potentially a very opposite direction. But in order to do that, 
it's going to require a, a total, complete rebirthing of human civilization, how we think about economics, how we think about community, how we think about governance, how we think about our relationship to technology, how we think about our relationship to each other, the planet and the cosmos. Um, and so there's a more beautiful world that I feel like I can see in my mind's eye. Um, but there's not just one or two facets I want to point to. I want to point to, um, you know, a, a, the journey that we'd actually have to go on of a, of, a, of, a, of a focused kind of like Apollo project kind of concept that a planetary civilization scale to navigate a multi-decade journey of, of examining the totality of human civilization and, 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 and running the appropriate experiments that help us to generate the appropriate insights that help us to plant and grow um, a, a more coherent expression of human civilization thereafter. Thank you. Uh, and that's where we have to get government on the side of the people so it can become a facilitator to exactly. that process that you just so wonderfully outlined. And, and that's really going to be my punchline here, too. I absolutely believe that government has the potential of serving the total upgrade of human civilization. And it's been utilized in a lot of ways to the detriment of the public to be able to benefit certain special interests. But it doesn't mean that that's the that the, the total potential of a human government can be has actually been 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 revealed and manifested. And so the final state here is I see America as a as a promise of the potential of governance of, by, and for the people in service to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that we are still at an adolescent stage of, 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 of moving towards the fulfillment of a very large promise that's taking a very long time to actualize. And we're learning every way to not do it along the way so that we can actually fulfill the promise here and uh, and that's what I that that's what being an American patriot really means to me, is yeah. that we're 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 in position to fulfill the promise of life, liberty, and happiness for all. Beautifully said, Steve. Any final words before we close the show? No, I think that I think uh, I think Christopher, you said it. We are so looking forward. I, I believe Michael will be at this event. We are so looking forward to uh, converging harmonically in Austin uh, in April and. We're inviting everybody that we know who's even thinking about it to come take uh, take that trip and be there for a, uh, an event that's going to be the beginning of something very significant. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you for having me on your show. Thanks, guys. But before we close now, uh, just want to say thank you so much. And for those of you who are, uh, know that we're on the Locals platform, you can please go there so you can actually subscribe and, and even uh, uh, help. Uh, Steve and I continue on this work uh, with your contributions. Uh, as everybody always says, you sign off, please like this, share this, etc. It's available not only on YouTube, but it'll be available on, on most all of your audio platforms as well. Uh, this is a, an incredible time in history, and uh, you can be a part of it. Put your DNA into this evolution. Uh, help us all create that more beautiful and just world that our hearts know is possible. As Christopher said, it is a long journey. Let us go there together. Thank you. Mm -hmm.